goodness. Uh, those of you that were here last Wednesday night, you might remember that right after the service, I had to make a trek to Atlanta to speak uh, to a company that had chosen Andrews Foundation as their 501c3, their nonprofit, this year. And so I got to go down uh, Wednesday night, speak to them on Thursday, and they shared what has become now an $8,000 gift with uh, the Go Get em Foundation. And so we're thrilled about that. So that's my good news for the week. What do you have to share tonight? Yes. What a great report. So. Yeah, re- retreats are special times when brothers or sisters, in that case, in Christ, can get away and kind of get removed from their normal things and environment and uh, fellowship together and share sweet moments in the Lord. So glad to hear that report. Who else? Okay, praise the Lord for that. Well, do you recall we had two baptisms Sunday night and another one scheduled for Sunday morning? So we thank God for that. That's all good. What else? I was about to mention it if no one else did. Yeah, I, I didn't. I had to leave just a little early last night, so I didn't get the report, uh, the numbers. How many? Over 300 came out last night, and so uh, we're blessed in that regard. Got to have a lot of good conversations with moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers, and so we trust that the Lord will use that to uh, bring the church here to the minds of those who were in attendance last night. Great way to love on the community. Anyone else? Yes. Amen. Glad to hear that report. Who else? I see two hands, but go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Amen. Oh, so good. Oh, thank you. That is very kind. That goes both ways. Who else? Yes. Another day. Amen. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in, in the Greek, 
what we see as an X is the key, which actually is stands for Christ. So, you know, praise the Lord for that sign when we see it. Who else? Yes. Amen. Good report. Anyone else? Okay, we'll get to those. We'll get to those. Anybody else? Good news. Yes. Amen. We rejoice with you on that. Anybody else? Okay, let me invite you just to bow your heads and we'll take our hearts to the Lord in some corporate prayer. Uh, Pray silently from your heart. We're thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit who takes even the words of our hearts and brings them before God's throne of grace. Uh, you're welcome to whisper your prayer if that's what you'd like to do. But I'm going to lead you through the Acts model again. I think it's just a great way for us to use some time here in the middle of the week as we pray together corporately. A stands for adoration. So take just a few moments tonight and adore the Lord and thank Him for who He is. C initializes confession. Take a moment and just confess any sin that you know of in your heart before the Lord, knowing that He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. T is Thanksgiving. We have so much to thank God for tonight. Uh, Think of a few things and just thank Him for His goodness and His grace. S stands for supplication. That's where we pray for our needs and the needs of others. You may have a prayer list with you tonight. You can look at that, maybe find a name or two to hold them up to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to meet their needs.
Dear Lord, it's cold outside, but it sure is warm in here. Thank you, Father, for the love and the fellowship that we experience when we come together as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we can bear one another's burdens, we can be in joy with one another and rejoice over the good things that are happening in our lives. Father, I just want to take a moment and thank you for all of these who mentioned, Lord, how you are a God who is at work. Father, help us never to lose sight of that as we walk through personal issues. And Father, as our lives right now are bombarded with uh, the news of events that are happening around the world and those even closer to home, it's awfully easy, God, for us to get distracted in the heaviness and the discomforts of this world. But Lord, all of that ought to stimulate a longing and a yearning within us that looks forward to your coming kingdom in its fullness. And Father, help us uh, not to lose sight of our blessings and help us, Lord, to on a daily basis long to see you face to face. Father, thank you that tonight we can return to your word and uh, learn more about what it means to pray as Christ taught us to pray. Father, in doing so, I pray that this wouldn't be uh, just an intellectual exercise where, Lord, we examine words uh, from a document, but Father, help us to approach your word as we always ought to, uh, that it's uh, a living word that's active, that's able to penetrate our lives and change us from the inside out. And I pray, Lord, as we encounter more of the model prayer tonight, that it would do just that. Lord, help us each and every one to become more earnest in prayer and be, Father, truly the prayer warriors that you'd have us to be. Father, help us again, I pray, to pray like Jesus did and how he taught us to pray. I ask it in his name. Amen. So on these Wednesday nights, we are taking a very close look at the model prayer in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. When we started uh, this particular unit of our study on prayer on Wednesday nights, I also mentioned to you Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, where Jesus had that occasion with his disciples, and the disciples turned to him and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his followers to pray. And so in in Luke 11, you have the same verbiage that you have here in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. So he says, as he begins the Lord's Prayer, and we'll say it together after those first few words of verse 9, of Matthew chapter 6, he says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Now, I go back to that statement to remind you over and over again, I think this is the third time, that you really can interpret that as pray like this. This is how you ought to pray. Pray in this style, if you would. So, what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, it's not just a group of words that we ought to repeat to uh, you know, impress the Lord or impress somebody else who hears us repeat these words. But again, Jesus is showing us categories, if you would. Categories that we ought to think about, that we ought to pray through when we have our prayer lives. And so... Let's quote together the Lord's Prayer after those first few words there in verse 9. Here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We're going to say debts here. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we have studied all of verse 9 and all of verse 10, or excuse me, the, the well, we've only studied verse 9. I was getting ahead of myself, but we've studied verse 9. We did it in two sessions. We spent a week just thinking about what it means to pray to God as our Father. And then last week, we talked about God being in heaven. And that doesn't just put God in one place, and that's the only place He is, because we know that God is omnipresent. So He's everywhere. God's not just in heaven. But the pattern Jesus is teaching us there is that we pray to a God who is on a throne, a God who is sovereign, a God who has all power. And then we talked about what it meant uh, for us to pray to a God who has a great name like our God. And so we honor that name. We, in the King James language, we hallow that name when we come to the Lord in prayer. And so tonight, we'll look at all of verse 10 again, which says, Lord, your kingdom come, and we pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll start with that first phrase. When we pray, we pray for a coming kingdom. Lord, your kingdom come. Now, you guys know that I like to have dialogue on Wednesday nights, so let me turn that back to you and just get some of your thoughts and ideas. What is the kingdom of God? What is it? What is God's kingdom? Or who is God's kingdom? The, the body of believers, the church. You know, there is a big C church and a little C church. We belong to a local church, which is a part of a bigger church. You understand that when we get to heaven, it's not just going to be Bible Baptist Church or High Street Baptist Church in Somerset, where my family uh, are members, but we'll be a part of a larger group of people. And they won't just be Baptists, right? We've talked about that. It'll be a group of people, brothers and sisters, saved by God's grace, called by the name of the Lord Jesus. We will be one bride of Christ. And so the people of God is certainly the kingdom of God. So that's a really good answer. What else? When you think about the kingdom of God, what else could it be? Yeah, the, the coming state of perfection, uh, a time of living in no sin, that'll be glorious. <laughs> it's hard to imagine being in a kingdom of people and living in eternity absolutely untouched and unmarred by the effects of sin. That absolutely has to do with the kingdom of God. But what I want you to learn tonight with me is that the kingdom of God is mentioned all through the New Testament. In fact, 157 times there is a reference to the kingdom of God from Matthew to Revelation. So it's all through the New Testament. It's uh, very much repeated through the four Gospels. And so many of those 157 times occur in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And a whole lot of times, those are in red letters. So it's Jesus himself often that's mentioning the kingdom of God in the New Testament. I want you to understand that the kingdom of God, and we've already picked up on it in your answers tonight, the kingdom of God is both present and future. In fact, I could say it's past, present, and future. Now, when we think about the past, of course, we have 2,000 years now of Christendom or 2,000 years of the Lord's church. So we have family members, loved ones, fellow church members, neighbors, all kinds of people 
with whom we've had relationships uh, that were a part of his kingdom, but they've moved on to be with the Lord and be with the saints in heaven. And so in a full sense, they're now part of his kingdom. We go even further than that. Even before the church, there was certainly a kingdom of God, right? The Old Testament is indicative of a kingdom of God. The people that God brought forth on this earth, particularly the people of Israel, His chosen people, they were a kingdom unto God in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, that's where I really want us to focus our attention tonight, there is a present and a future aspect to the kingdom of God. Much of Christ Jesus' preaching revolved around the kingdom. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in a number of places, I'll give you one reference, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, He said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, in other messages, we focused some recently on repentance So I'll just mention that in passing tonight. Of course, we talked about it a little bit Sunday night. Repentance is the idea that you're changing your way. You're going one direction, you turn around and you start heading the other direction. Uh, Greek word for repentance in the New Testament, metanoia, a changing of the mind that changes the direction of your life. So that was Jesus' message to repent, be changed. And we're thankful that when we think about changing, with the work of the Holy Spirit, there's a change agent in our lives. And God the Holy Spirit, His gift to us, the indwelling of God Himself through the Spirit, He's the agent that helps us to change. And so when we repent... We come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so that was the message of Jesus himself. Repent, change right now for, listen to this, the kingdom is at hand. It's here. So when you think about the kingdom, it's not just a coming kingdom. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But it is a kingdom that's here and it's a kingdom that has been here for about 2,000 years now. With the coming of Christ, with the preaching of Christ, with the good news, which is the gospel, we're able to come into a current kingdom. And so, when we pray, we ought to think about the fact that we're in a kingdom that's beyond any type of geographic expression. We're certainly Americans, and we're thankful to be Americans, right? But we're a part of a bigger kingdom than America. We're a part of the Lord's kingdom. That's the present kingdom. It is at hand now. Entrance to the kingdom was made when Jesus completed His work as our sacrifice on the cross. And so it's a present kingdom, and it's also a future kingdom. So it's a kingdom that is, and it's a kingdom that will be. I love the answer that we heard a moment ago when I asked you what is the kingdom. It's a time of perfection. It's a time of no sin. Jesus spoke not only of a kingdom that is at hand, a present kingdom, But he talked about a kingdom that is coming. In Matthew chapter 25, the Lord gave that parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. And in 25 verse 1, listen to what he says. He says, the kingdom of heaven, notice future tense here, will be. So Jesus at one point said the kingdom is at hand, it is right now. But he also says here, the kingdom will be. It will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. I don't have time to get into that parable, 
But I will say this just very quickly. The, the parable is a parable of readiness. Uh, and, and it went back again to the custom of the first century Jewish society when the bridegroom at a time that wasn't particularly announced would come to the home and he would get his bride and then the wedding festivities would start to take place and the virgins would be the bridesmaids, if you would, and they should always be ready. If they were going to be one of the bridesmaids, they were to always be in a position of readiness so that when the bridegroom came to take his bride, then there would be no obstacles in the way. And so he talked about the kingdom of heaven will be, it is coming, and it is coming for those who are ready, for those who are prepared. So we can be thankful tonight that as people who are recipients of the grace of God, that we have peace in this life and we have peace in the life to come. We have peace right now because of the kingdom that is in our hearts, that invisible kingdom that's in our hearts and in our lives, but we can also be at peace about the kingdom which is coming. So when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, we're talking about something that's present and also something that has a future orientation. So how do we pray then, guided by what Jesus tells us here, to pray with an emphasis on the kingdom. What are some things that come to your mind? What should be included in our prayers as we pray about the kingdom that is and the kingdom that's coming? It's not hard. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not really difficult to think about. It ought to just, it ought to come quite easy when you think about it. If we pray about the kingdom coming, our prayers ought to have an evangelistic tone. Our prayers ought to be discipleship-oriented. And then also our prayers ought to have a second coming focus. And so we've already touched on those a little bit, but let's walk through them a little more fully. What do I mean when I say that our prayers ought to have an evangelistic focus? That's right. Uh, several of you in the room knew my dad. And dad used to ask a question, and he, he would ask this. He would say, uh, what's better than going to heaven and worse than going to hell? You ever heard that question? What's better than going to heaven and worse than going to hell? Well, he'd give people a little time to think about that and offer some answers. But here's the true answer. What's better than going to heaven would be to take someone to heaven with you, right? And what would be worse than going to hell? Being an obstacle and not only go to hell yourself, but trip up somebody else and they would miss heaven and go to hell. So that, that uh, helps us think through an evangelistic focus. We ought to want as many people to go to heaven as can possibly go to heaven, right? Everybody we know, everybody we meet, we ought to have a deep desire in our hearts to see them go to heaven. Let me ask you a question tonight. Does God want people to go to heaven? Nod your head like this. That's an easy answer. God wants people in heaven. As a matter of fact, do you know why the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't come back already? Well, the scripture gives us the answer to that. The Bible says, Peter writes and he says that the Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise, as some people count slackness or slowness, but he's patient, he's long suffering. Listen to this, not willing that 
any should perish, but that all should do what, church? Come to repentance. God wants people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Often, when I teach pastors down at the Bible college, I I talk to them uh, about vision. You know, pastors ought to be men who have a vision, and the vision starts with wanting to see that community, that neighborhood, that county, wherever they pastor. That's where the vision starts, to see the people around that church come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because listen, folks, that is the Lord's vision. If you don't uh, just, just trust my word of that, you can turn your Bibles to Revelation 7. And isn't that, you don't have to do that right now, just make a note of it. It's an aside, but in Revelation 7, what does John see? John sees multitudes of people before the throne and before the Lamb of all ethnicities, of all tribes, of all colors, of all languages that are doing what? That are praising the Lamb. That's what John sees. So my friend, here's what I'm telling you. That is God's vision. And then God's mission is the Great Commission for us to go into all the world to preach and to make disciples and to baptize those who come into the kingdom in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, Really what Jesus is teaching us there is that there ought to be an evangelistic focus to our prayer. We ought to pray for lost people by name. Now, I have mentioned this probably before, but I want to say it again because I don't want you to misunderstand me. I know where the altar is. And the altar for you and for me is in our hearts. That's where we meet with God. That's what Jesus said. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, Scripture says that He said it is finished. That means the the Old Testament sacrificial system was over. All of those sacrifices were over. No longer did man have to approach God through an appointed priest, but the veil of the temple was ripped from the top and all the way down to the bottom. And so the holy place of God, that place where the priest would meet with God on the behalf of God's people, that place is gone. And so the altar, I understand it, you understand, it's in our hearts, and from our altar... We ought to be taking people to the Lord in prayer. This this front of the church, these steps, I know we call it an altar. It's really not an altar, but I'll tell you this. There is something significant when God's people come before the Lord and before the congregation and they begin to pour out their hearts to the Lord in front of the assembly. Understand that altar is in the heart. But here's what I know. This is what I can tell you experientially. And those of you that have been a part of the church, you can say the same thing. I remember days when the front of the churches would be wet with the tears of the saints who were praying for people to come into the kingdom of God. We remember those days. But those days seem to have passed us by. And I think in our pride, and frankly, in our arrogance, we don't humble ourselves the way that we used to. And I don't know if it's whether or not we really don't believe that people are honestly on their way to hell, or if we believe some type of universalism that everybody's going to be accepted into the kingdom of God. I don't know what we believe, but what I can tell you is this. We don't pray for lost people the way we should. I've quit teaching and started preaching to you tonight. But I, I, have, I have a deep concern there. 
And I just believe that we would see more people saved if we would once again start praying, Lord, your kingdom come. In other words, Lord, your kingdom come into the heart of my lost son or my lost daughter or my lost neighbor. Lord, your kingdom come. So it has that evangelistic focus. Let let me remind you of something else that happened as the Lord was about to ascend, as he was about to go back to the Father. In Acts chapter 1, last Sunday night we were talking about Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. But prior to that, you have the apostles with Jesus over in Bethany on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, and the Lord is about to ascend. Jesus had called them out there. And the Bible says in Acts 1 verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now listen to those words. The apostles are saying, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now what was that question all about? Lord, is now the time that you're going to drive out the Romans? Is now the time that you're going to restore uh, the sovereignty of Israel? That was their question. And by the way, that was a fair question. Because, you know, the Old Testament prophesies that Jesus one day will rule and reign out of Jerusalem. And by the way, I believe that to be literally true. I believe it's going to happen. And so it's not a bad question but it wasn't the right question. Let me remind you what Jesus says. So they're, they're asking him, Lord, is the kingdom coming in that aspect right now? And this is what he says. He says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now don't forget what they're asking. Lord, is the kingdom coming? Is now the time when the kingdom is coming? Will Israel be restored to its sovereignty right now? And Jesus says, and if I could put it in the Allen translation, Jesus says, it's none of your business. That aspect of the kingdom is not for you to know right now, but he redirects them. And he says, this ought to be your kingdom focus. Receive the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. So Christ's concern was that the kingdom would have this evangelistic emphasis. Let me give you one more scenario. Jesus, in this same portion of Scripture. Of course, the model prayer, Matthew 6, comes from that larger body of Scripture that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins it by giving the Beatitudes. Does anybody remember what the first Beatitude is? Go ahead. That's right. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what, church? The kingdom. That's right. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus saying there? The way you get into the kingdom of heaven is that you're poor in spirit. And I'll tell you what that means. That means that you humble yourself. Being poor in spirit is the opposite of being proud. It's the opposite of being haughty. Being poor in spirit means that you come to God with the white flag of your life hoisted high and you're saying to God, I can't do this thing. I can't be good enough. I can't give enough. I I don't have enough works within me. I'm bankrupt. I'm poor in spirit. And it's only when you're poor in spirit that you can surrender yourself to the Lord knowing that He is the only one that can do something for you. And so Jesus says, 
It's the poor in spirit who have access to the kingdom of heaven. I say all that simply to say to you tonight when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, there's an evangelistic, an evangelistic aspect to that where we're praying, Lord, save the lost. But we need to be more specific than that. We need to pray, Lord, save John. Or Lord, save whomever and call out their name and ask the Lord to use us to take the gospel to that one that we're thinking of and praying for. So it's, it's evangelistic oriented and it's also discipleship oriented. Pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Matthew 6, says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. Of course, the larger context of that is where the Lord is teaching us not to worry. Not to worry about our food, what we put on, all of those things. But Jesus says, seek His kingdom, and then all of these things will be added to you. There's a discipleship aspect to this. Let me remind you very quickly that we get saved in tenses. Now, please understand what I'm saying. Once you're saved, you're fully saved, and you're eternally saved. But you see, there is this aspect of justification... And then what you mentioned earlier, there is the future aspect of glorification, but right now it's a matter of discipleship. We call that sanctification, right? So we were justified, we will be sanctified, or excuse me, glorified, but right now we're being sanctified. And so the kingdom growing in our hearts as believers, is all a matter of growing in the Lord, becoming more devoted to Him, being more fervent in our discipleship. Listen to these verses very quickly. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know these verses. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul writes and he says, there's a process that's taking place in you, believer, you are becoming transformed. Notice that he talks about don't be conformed, but be transformed. In other words, conformed is the idea of being pushed into a mold. Some of you remember playing with silly putty. You could take that little ball of silly putty and if you had a mold of some type, you could push it down into it and pull it away and it would bear the image of that mold. That's being conformed. That's not God's will for us as believers to be conformed, but His will for us is to be transformed through discipleship. And so the kingdom of God, still in its present tense thought, becomes fuller and fuller in our lives as we become more and more transformed. We become more and more what God wants us to be, and we do it by presenting our bodies on a daily basis as a living sacrifice. You do know the problem of a living sacrifice, right? A living sacrifice can wiggle off the altar. Some of you will get that in a few moments. A living sacrifice can wiggle off the altar. Uh, But that's what we are. We're living. We're still in the world. God still has us here. 
We're not glorified yet. We're being sanctified. The kingdom is growing in our hearts and lives as we're being sanctified. We have a king. There's no kingdom without a king, right? And our king is not a president, thank God, and not a future president, thank God, but our king is King Jesus. And as citizens of his kingdom, we're growing day by day in sanctification. Why does time move so quickly? So there's this discipleship orientation to it. So when we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come, we're praying, God, save those people that are around me. Save them. Lord, come into their hearts, change their lives. Then we're also praying, Lord, change me. Sanctify me so that your kingdom develops more fully within me. And then there's that future aspect to it. And listen, if the news doesn't convince you to pray anything else right now, you ought to be praying, come Lord Jesus. You know, I'll be honest with you, even in my adult life, I've never prayed that to the degree that I pray it right now. And I pray it. Uh, I have a lot to go to heaven for. And I, you know, I'm not in a hurry in one sense of the word because I want to live. I want my life to count. I want to try to make a difference. But it would sure be all right with me if the trumpet would sound before we left this place tonight. And I pray for it. I yearn for it. Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready. My family's ready. Perhaps there's some of you tonight that can't say that. And I I get your reluctance. If I had unsaved children, if I had an unsaved spouse, I understand that. But I'm telling you, as for me and as for my house, I'm looking for a king to come. And beloved, let me remind you that he is indeed coming. You know these words, Revelation 19, 11 and 12, John writes and he says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting upon it is called Faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war, and his eyes are like a flame of fire, and upon his head are many crowns. You see, the one coming, my friend, is the King of kings. And so when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, it has that second coming tone to it. Lord, come. Lord, Restore, Lord, make new, make right. Lord Jesus, come. So when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, the pattern is, Lord, your kingdom come into the hearts of those who are lost. Lord, your kingdom come more fully into my heart as I become more and more sanctified on a daily basis. And Lord Jesus Christ, come and bring in fullness your kingdom. And so we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, and we pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This one goes much more quickly, but let me ask you, how is God's will done in heaven? That is what we need to understand. If we're praying, Lord... Your will be done down here as it is up there in heaven. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? I'll give you two words. Immediately and completely. God's will in heaven is done immediately. In other words... If God offered a decree for those who are in heaven 
or if God instructs His holy angels, when do they do His will? They do it immediately. There was one and several others who didn't do it, and guess what? They're not in heaven anymore. That's Lucifer and the other fallen angels, and they've been cast out. They're wreaking havoc here in this world right now. But as for heaven today, when God decrees, when God makes known His will, it's done immediately. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. It is just accomplished. And it's done completely, perfectly. Whatever God says to be done in heaven, with those He instructs in heaven, it's done to its fullness, completely. And that ought to be our prayer. Lord, in my life, let me do Your will immediately and completely. Lord, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me bring this into focus for all of us tonight. If we're not willing to do God's will, how dare we pray for someone else to do God's will? How dare we pray for Joe Biden to do God's will if we're not willing to do God's will? So it begins with us. Lord, your will be done in my life immediately and completely. Lord, as I understand what your will is for me, I accept it. I want to do it immediately. I don't want to hold back. I don't want to limit what you can do through me on earth. And so, God, I do it immediately and I do it to its fullness. So we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me give you this as I close out tonight. 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. John has a specific word to say about our prayer lives as it has to do with the will of the Lord. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will. If you mark in your Bible, if you underline, if you circle words, those are two words you ought to circle. His will. If we ask things according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of Him. In other words, Scripture there is teaching us that when we pray for God's will to be done, and we mean what we pray, God's will will be done because it's ultimately going to be done one way or the other. And we learn how to accept it, we learn how to live with it, and we learn how to move ahead when His will is done even Listen to me, this is important. Even if it's not our will. Even if it's not our will. Did Jesus not model that for us in Gethsemane? What was Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane? You know, he's looking at the cross. Jesus fully knows what's coming ahead for him. And Jesus asks the Lord... He asks his father if there's any way that the cup could pass from him. But ultimately, here's Jesus' prayer in the garden. Lord, not my will, but your will. Lord, your will be done. And now watch this. I take you back to Romans 12 too. When God's will is done, he'll show it to you. You may not fully grasp it, but you'll understand it to be His will. And according to what Paul says in Romans 12 too, it will be good, it will be acceptable, and it will be perfect. That's the will of God. It's good, it's acceptable, 
and it's perfect. Let, let me be as vulnerable with you as any group of people I've ever spoken to because this is so fresh in my life. And I hope you all bear with me because I, I, don't try, I don't want to bring you down into my grief. But I've always just, I, I've preached and I've taught from my life experiences and I've tried to be transparent. And so you just have to accept me as that. But can I tell you the hardest prayer that I've ever prayed in my life was on March the 31st when Amy had finally drifted. It was actually on April the 1st because it was into the wee hours of the morning. Amy had drifted off to a little bit of sleep and there I was on the knees with my hands stretched out over my son. And here's what I pray. I'm just going to tell you exactly what I prayed based on what the medical report was to us. I prayed, Lord, I believe and I'm just like the blind man's dad. Help my unbelief. If there's any unbelief in me, Lord, help my unbelief. And Lord, I pray if it is your will that you would raise up my son. That's exactly what I prayed. Let me tell you what I said because, again, of the medical report. I prayed, Lord, if it's not your will to heal him, I pray for his ultimate healing. Because, God, I'll accept whatever. And if you leave him in this world in a vegetative state, we will care for him. We will be his parents as long as you leave him here. But, Lord, I would rather my Andrew go to be with you than to be left here in that, that condition. That's what I prayed. None of you knew him. Maybe some of you had met him. I don't know. But you would have to know him to understand that prayer. That couldn't have been him. To have just laid around in a vegetative state, being kept alive artificially, that would not have been my son. And so that's what I pray. Lord, if that is your will, I pray for your will to be done. Now, which prayer did I want answered? The first one. That was my heart. But I also prayed, Lord, He's right with you. He's growing in your grace. I see evidence of that. I have no reason to doubt His salvation. Lord, rather than leaving, here in a ved- leaving Him here in a state like that, take Him to be with you. And here's what I know. For him, it's hard for us, but for my son, that's good. That's good. And may I tell you tonight, in a weakness, if I had the power to call him back for my personal selfish, would would I call it? Yes. But for him, no. Why in the world would I call him back to this place, knowing where he is? So hear me tonight. God's will is good. It's good. And it's acceptable. I've had to learn more and more about what that means. But here's what I can tell you. I've learned, and I'm still learning, how to accept it. There are days when I don't like it. But I accept it. Because it's God's will. So it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. I've told you before, He knows best. And when He doesn't answer the prayer the way we want Him to answer the prayer when His will is done, 
He always gives enough grace. Grace is sufficient, and his strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's true. And so we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've kept you way too late. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. How's that? You have a prayer list, and there may be those of you that want to comment.